Hello and welcome to The Reader Podcast. My name is Frances and I work for The Reader, which is a national charity bringing thousands of people together every week all over the UK in order to experience and enjoy great literature through shared reading. For most of this episode, we're going to listen in to a conversation between two Reader staff members, Jamie and Greg. They're talking together in one of the rooms of the Mansion House at Calderstones Park, which is the Reader's Liverpool headquarters. And from where, earlier this month, BBC Radio 5 Live broadcast its Drive Time show. This special programme was part of the BBC's adult literacy campaign, Word Matters, which has an emphasis on the benefits of reading aloud. And of course, reading aloud is central to what we do at the Reader. The Five Live programme included chats with a number of people connected to the reader, including its founder, Jane Davis, visitors to the Story Barn, and members of a shared reading group for people living with chronic pain, which has run at Broad Green Hospital in Liverpool since 2017. Also interviewed in the programme were Greg and Jack. Greg is one of the reader's young person's mentors, and Jack is one of the young people Greg supervises and also a facilities apprentice at the Mansion House. Many people contacted BBC Five Live and the reader after the show, but it was Greg and Jack who drew the most comment. From readers impressed and moved by their honesty and warmth as they spoke about their lives, their work and about shared reading. One person wrote to the BBC to say, that lad who just read that poem was the most powerful thing I've heard on the radio. My colleague Jamie caught up with Greg a week or so after the Five Live visit to get the full story about his role at The Reader, what it's like working at the Mansion House, and why he believes in shared reading. Hi Greg. Hi Jamie. Thanks for chatting to me today. No problem at all. So I thought to just start by asking you a little bit about your journey at The Reader so far. Okay. Um, I think you joined at the beginning of this year, 2021, yeah. is that right? in January, yeah. yeah. Applied for the job last year in November. Um, got me an interview for January and started at the end of January, I think. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about your role? Um and why you wanted to do the job? Yeah, so I'm a young person mentor. I actually never knew. I was having this conversation yesterday. I didn't know that there was actually a role called a young person mentor. I'd never done it before, I'd never seen it. Um, so I didn't know that you could be paid for doing what I do now. Um, I've always worked with young offenders, um, young people with challenging behaviour in school settings, in alternate provision settings, in youth club settings. And then COVID happened. I actually got a new job at Everton the Community as a behaviour coordinator. I went for the job, got the interview, and was supposed to start it, and the lockdown happened. So when a lot of organisations started saving money and going to the furlough scheme, they basically said, this job isn't necessary. Mm. So I went to work in Jacob's Crackers for six months in entry, um, and was literally working on a machine, which was packing biscuits. Um, awful job, just... Horrible atmospheres of working, people with kind of no like goals or aspirations. So it's quite tough working there, um, but you've got to keep paying your bills, haven't you? Mm. And then I seen this job on Indeed. I remember saying to my partner, um, 
you can actually get paid to do this. So it was, it was, I'm mad how it come about. Applied for the job. And the first time in my life, without sounding like, this sounds like arrogant or cocky, but I didn't, I didn't prepare for the interview because all my experiences was what exactly this job is. So rather than creating mad stories or having to exaggerate, I was just dead honest in my interview and mm. obviously come across well. My job here is basically to create opportunities within the organisation for young people who face barriers to employment. So that might be they have a neurodiverse condition like ASD, which is autism, or they might have ADHD, or they might be from a low-income family so they don't have the same opportunities as other people. Yeah, so it's just supporting young people, mentoring them, making sure they go what they need. And that, that's my role in the organisation, yeah. So what might a typical day look like for you and your team of young people? So the first hour is also always the most important. It's making sure that the young people who we have on site are comfortable. They've got what they need, they're going to have a good morning. They've got support, they're not feeling anxious and emotionally they're stable so they can give 100%. So always checking in on that young person. In between that, it's finding other opportunities in the organisation for other young people. Connect them with partnerships, connect them with other organisations who are like-minded and share the same values and ethos as we do, and trying to create a kind of pipeline of opportunity for young people in the future, so just keep the momentum going. Mm. So that's really exciting to very, be very a part exciting. of the project right from the beginning, really. Yeah, it is. It's nice. It's, it's, when you look at some of our young people who we have here now, who are just complete products of the environment which we've created, Good to say, it's rewarding. Like I don't, obviously you'd have your, your, your little stresses here and there and your outside life, but actually never feel like I go to work, mm. which is for me, it's a win. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think growing up, everyone has this idea of success in their head, don't they? Like, you know, you want to have a massive house with a pool and drive a Lamborghini. I get the bus to work and I feel successful. Yeah. Because I know lads who go to drive to work. Don't get me wrong, I'm doing my lessons now, I want to drive, don't get me wrong. Where now lads who drive to work and go go to lovely homes who are very unhappy in the job because mm. they do they're just making ends meet. Mm-hmm. So to be able to do something where I know that I'm improving someone else's life every single day and getting paid for it, it's a bonus. What were your first impressions when you first started at the reader? What did you think about the environment and what did you think about the reader's mission? Um so I started working from home at first, which was a blessing in disguise because to be able to have the planning that we done from home, it was in, I was literally planning and creating and sending invites to partnerships and doing the creating templates for all kinds of like different parts of the project. So for example, we created a learner portfolio while we were at home. We created the the ad hoc structure. So when you come in, what's the process? How do we sign people up? What do they do day to day? What does the timetable look like? And we created all that from home, so that was a blessing. But I feel like from home, it gave me a good introduction to the reader values and I could learn a lot more. Because if I think about if I was on site for the first two or three months and I'm in and out of offices and learning people, I wouldn't have had that time to learn about what they actually do and what type of place it is. When I first come to site, I'll be honest with you, it was a bit of a culture shock. Just from like where I live. Where I live is the north end of the city quite um, low income environment, a lot of council estates. So coming up here, I didn't think like places like this really existed an hour from where I live. So at first it was quite, 
I was watching something the other day and I'd never heard about it. It's called imposter syndrome, you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like where you don't feel like you should be somewhere. Mm. And I felt like that the first few months. Really? Honestly, yeah. I was like, why am I? This is a strange place. And it was little things that like walking into the park and people saying good morning to you and how are you? And you don't really get that around my mind. People mm. either look you up and down or snarl you. So it was nice, but I wasn't used to it. Mm. So like it's really refreshing. Um, and I love obviously coming to work here and coming to the park and I would say the same thing to the same people every morning like good morning and how are you and it's nice but uh, yeah it was quite hard to get used to it first yeah just because I've said this before to a young person every job I've ever had I've always waited to meet that person who was negative or that one person who like brought the mood down and when I first started here I was kind of anxious to think oh who's that person going to be and I've never been there isn't one mm. so that's nice Still waiting. I was always thinking I was going to be a manager who's a bit more bit of a job with or someone who just doesn't like can have conversations but everyone from the top to the bottom um, across the organisation are all the same mm. which is really refreshing and what about your experiences with shared reading how did you find it when you first joined the organisation were you apprehensive at all or what was what was the first experience like? So in my interview, I was interviewed by Nick, and it was my manager now, um, Nicola Williams, who's a tremendous woman, um, and she said to me in my interview that, you know, we do shared reading, we do want all of our staff to be embedded in the culture, and, and I was like, what's shared reading? She said, you know, where people sit around the table, we converse over a piece of text, it's normally a piece of great literature, or a poem, or a prose. I didn't know what a prose was, I didn't know what great literature was. And I went home and I said to my partner, I'm not sitting around the table with six people I don't know reading poems. It's weird, all that. And I was very put off by it. The first time I'd done it, it blew my mind. I was just, I didn't know what to expect. But I was still shocked by what I took out of it. Mm. Because I, I quickly learned and realised that it's not even about the text. And obviously, it, it used as the anchor in the session, but it's not really about the words on the page to about like connecting to other people and finding that common ground with people you don't even you'd never come across in your in your in your life. Yeah. So that that was nice. And if I think from a development point of view, it takes um you learn a lot about yourself in terms of I I I'd love to think that I don't judge people, but I always get shocked when I, I'm in a session with someone who's from a different background, whether that's economically or socially. And you seem to find this common ground. I think that's just human beings. We're mm. all the same, aren't we? We're just mm. in different parts of our life. So I feel like I've learned a lot more. I take people a lot more as they are. Not that I'm, I, I, I ever did judge people, but I feel I give people a lot more chance than I would have in the past. Right. So I don't. I feel like in the past I might not have sat in the conversation with a woman who's in her seventies who looks like she's wealthy because mm. I probably. Think Coming with it now, I'm stopping to talk. I'm yeah. putting up talking about a book, which yeah. I never thought I'd ever find myself doing. So you said that your during your first experience of shared reading that it blew your mind. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were reading and what what was it exactly that had such a huge effect on you? So it was the emotional stuff. I, I felt lighter. I felt physically lighter after the session. Um, we're going but into it in a second, but I've had counselling for different problems I've had in my life. I've been referred to all different stuff. I've had CBT, which is cognitive behavioural therapy. 
I've had one-to-ones, I've been to like crisis meetings in the Royal, and not one session I've ever attended has ever made me feel better, none of it. Whether that's because I wasn't ready to hear it, or it just didn't work for me, it just never, I never felt better. And after that shared reading session, I physically felt lighter. Mm. And the first poem I wrote, it was about a spider creating a web in the corner. It wasn't Charlotte's web, like, but uh, it was about a spider creating a web, and about all the work it's put into it how simple it was and I don't remember many things that got said about it but I remember the feeling of leaving that session and thinking I feel like that's what I should have felt when I'd come on to counselling sessions mm. not a shared reading reading mm. a poem with people I don't know so it was unexpected very unexpected yeah but I thought I wanted to do it again because I felt physical because I've carried quite a lot of guilt around um, for stuff I've done in my previous life in my previous life in my earlier life and when I've been to counselling sessions and it's, I've told them that's what I'm there for, it's never felt better. When I do shared reading, I always leave feeling I'm a lot less guilty. Mm. And even if the poem isn't about guilt, that's what blow, that's what amazes me still to this day. That you can read something that's not about the feeling that you're holding, but the feeling that you're holding seems to ease a bit mm. after every time you do it. As you say, like a weight that's being yeah, lifted a weight, yeah. somehow. I feel like it's a mo- I feel like it's like what's the word it's like evolving emotionally because mm. every time you do it I do it personally I always feel a lot more connected to my emotions mm. so a good example was I got I've never been one to cry films ever since I've been the reader I've cried at films that you shouldn't cry at I've received presents that mean a lot and would also mean a lot before shared reading but I've made me cry so I feel like I've gone a lot more the word isn't softer because that's a bad way to put it, but more to touch my emotions. Mm. So I feel like it's a lot easier to let them come out and accept them. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. you know, feeling like you can confront them yeah, and show them. Accept them, them and, and, and celebrate that them. There, yeah, celebrate that they're there, yeah. And ultimately, if I'm more to touch my emotions, who better than to help a young person who doesn't know what, what emotions feel like or yeah. might be displacing them. Mm, so I feel it's only benefiting me, which in the long term is benefiting the project and the young people that are involved in it. So you think that your um, kind of impression of, it sounds like your impression of shared reading has really changed from the beginning when you thought, what is this? This is this sounds really weird. Um, and now you're completely, you know, on board and wanting to share that with your um, younger colleagues as well. Yeah, definitely. So I've, I've just done my reader lead training because I now want to, it's easy enough for me to say to people, come to a shared reading session, come to a reading session. Because people can just say, yeah, 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 I'm getting, just don't turn up. But if I'm facilitating a shared reading session and I believe in it and they trust me, it's easier to do it that way. One of the most undervalued things and under-recognised is the power of pausing. When you can read a sentence, and, but if you pause in certain areas, that sentence means a whole lot different mm. to as you read it. But professionally, it just means I can, I can give more to the project and young people will learn more from it. Because I think if I've felt the benefits from shared reading and I'm 28, I'd love the young people to discover that a lot earlier in life. Because mm. I think if I'd done it a lot earlier, I might, might have made different decisions. Right. Although saying that, I don't regret where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So, but I think I'd rather people learn from my mistakes than make the same ones, mm. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so just going back a little bit, you were talking a bit about that profound effect that shared reading had, and I believe that there was a particular poem that you read. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit? What was that poem? Yeah. So I after my first shared reading session, speaking to again, my manager Nicola, who I probably mentioned a lot. She's a fantastic woman. Um, so I look up to quite a lot. After my sorry, after my first shared reading session, I was telling Nicola how it went, and. She said, do some more, so I kept doing it. It was getting better, enjoy, enjoying the sessions a lot more. And then I explained what I'd been through. And she said to me, why you need to read this poem called Love After Love by Derek Walcott? She said, you, you'll like it. And when I read it, I've never, in my 20 years of life, read something and it's ever his hard. I've never physically felt anything when I've read something. And when, that, when I read that piece of text, it was as if someone had literally put the hand inside my belly and moved mm. everyone out. Like it was, it was strange. A physical reaction. Physical reaction, yeah, I felt really like, like my legs went like jelly, it was strange reading it. I was like, wow, that's powerful stuff. So since then I've always had a good connection with that poem. Would you mind reading it for no, us definitely. now? It'd be great not. to hear it in your voice. Yeah. Okay. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, Give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you. All your life whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the middle. Sit. Feast on your life. Thank you. Very That's welcome. great. What was it about that poem then? So, it was, I was in, when was it? So I started to come to Cypher in March, um, when, when it was very wet and cold still, and I think it was snowing still to be fair. Um, and there was a day where I was helping out the side team, uh, moving stuff around from the coach house. And basically, this one day I was absolutely soaked, freezing. Um, gets home, open the door, and there's a mirror in my hall. And I looked down, and it was like that moment where I was soaking wet, freezing, and I had every right to be either grumpy or sad because I was freezing. But I was dead happy. And I was like, that was the moment for me, it was like I'd turn my life around here. Like I'd just come home from doing a job that I absolutely love, in a gorgeous place, in a gorgeous park. I'm freezing, soaking wet, but I couldn't be happier. Mm. And it was like that pivotal moment where I thought, I've changed everything, what I've done. Like I've completely tipped my life on its head. Like I was going nowhere, I wasn't, doing, I wasn't going to achieve anything. And now... Like, be proud of yourself. Mm. After it was that realization of like looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, like, well done, you. Yeah. Where I've actually given myself a pat on the back. Mm. 
and that part of the poem where it says, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at you as welcome. And then the next stanza, you will love again the stranger who was yourself. And it's just that, in 2017, the 4th of October, started my suicide because of a cocaine addiction. And after that, I feel like I started living again. So I feel like if I look back at pictures now when I'm 18, 19, 20, I could honestly believe that it's not even me. You don't recognise that version of yourself. I can't remember. Mm. I can't remember. Like people talk about having like, oh, remember that party or um, even when my mum said, remember that holiday when you were younger? It's dead hard to remember. Mm. She's like, you can't visualise mm. it. it. Obviously it's happened, but it's mad. So that line, that stranger who was yourself, yeah. that feels yeah, that feels like, real. When I started taking drugs, it kind of went missing. Become someone else. Just like the addiction just took over me completely. Mm. So I was just basically just like a shadow, just going through life, not doing anything. Mm. Taking drugs, taking drugs, doing nothing myself. Just living hands and all, doing crap jobs just to kind of feed me addiction. So when I stopped and decided to start respecting myself and start loving myself and giving myself what I deserve, it was um, it was like restarting my life. Mm. And so what about your relationship to reading before you started at The Reader? Um, did you do much reading um, at all? Or you know, when you were a kid or at school? What, what's your yeah, journey so, been with So do you know reading? what, we've always, me and my brother have always been, I've got a brother who's he's 18 months older than me, we've always been good readers. Mm. I've, I've, we've both been able to read from a very early age because my mum was always good reading, like I remember. My mum's asked me something when I was two, I think, um, and we lived with my stepdad since I was four, and my stepdad used to always read to us. So we've always had a very good like experience in reading. So you it's, were looking to be inspired by yeah, literature? Yeah, 100%, 100%. But then when I've started, since I've been the reader, I do enjoy looking for poems a lot more. I feel like poems can mean whatever you... You can read a poem one day and think that doesn't mean anything to me and then come back to it the next day and be like, ah, because it's how you feel, isn't it? Yeah. So I have purchased poem, poetry books since working for reader. So are you now planning to start a group of your own? Yeah, I want to create a shared reading group for young men. Um, at first I said 16 to 24 because that's the group I work with, but just young men in general, it could just be men in general, because we don't talk enough to each other. Mm. We don't. Uh, suicide is the biggest killer of under, under 40 um, males in the UK and it's not getting any better obviously with pandemics and lockdown it's literally gone up so I feel like shared reading is a massive tool and can be a good vehicle in terms of combating that and it might not even if it stops one person it's job done isn't it mm. because for me yeah in a shared reading session you really open up and let you and put your vulnerabilities on the table and I feel like that it's a safe space and do you think that the young people who you mentor um, can get something from shared reading as well? Obviously, we, as mentors, we do get a lot of information, like if a young person feels stressed or anxious or something's going on on a home, they'll always ask to speak to us or ask to speak to somebody in a safe environment. What I'm finding now is our young people open up things and talk about issues in the sessions and then what that happens, what happens then is they create a safe environment amongst each other 
So then when we're not there, as much as we still will always be there and we still need to mentor them, they're creating friendships and mm. really open up communication lines amongst themselves. So then at first we we realised that, you know, our young people were going out dinner with us or they'd go with us and we'll sit on their own with the headphones in. And now what happens is a lot of our young people have dinner together. So you create so friendships, community, yeah. That to continue literally after yeah. the group is yeah. finished. And then I'm getting some time I'm getting Tapping once or twice where a young person comes to me and said, look, so-and-so is having a bit of a hard time. They've told me, do you want to make sure to keep an eye on them? So young people are now confiding in each other because mm-hmm. they've found a safe space in a shared reading session. Mm-hmm. So it just creates a lot of, um, it's the way, it's like a small community within, within our project, yeah. so it's fantastic. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. So last question, yeah. um, you said earlier on, um, that you don't want to be a millionaire and you don't want to drive a Lamborghini. Um, I just wonder what are your what are your personal ambitions for yourself and for the role that you're in as young person's mentor at the moment. Okay, so my personal ambitions. I want a happy and healthy family. I want enough money to cover my bills at the end of the month. Be able to go and do what I want when I want in moderation. So like never have to struggle to go for a meal on a Friday night or take the kids to pictures. And that's it. That's all I want. Nothing much and there's not too much to ask for. Um yeah, that's it really. Um and I want in terms of the role. I wanted to get this off the ground. Because even though it's really successful and we're doing we've got we've got some we've got two young people in employment now, soon to be three. Um, I'd love to get this right off the ground in this city and then I'd love to do it in different cities across the UK. A young person project. And because what we do here, we give young people the, the option to fail and fail and fail and learn while they're on the project. They're not just coming and just trying one thing and if it doesn't work out, that's the end of it. Because in life, that's what happens. You fail and you fail and you fail. And if you don't fail, you're not trying hard enough. And it's being able to give them that safe space where they can come and try things out. And if they don't enjoy it, that's fine. Try something else. You and spoke about that before, haven't you? The importance of failure. Yeah, because I've failed so many different times in my life. <laughs> but I wouldn't change a thing about it. Because you learn more about yourself from failure. What, what I can do personally, yeah, is... is use the, lang- the right language and the right mentoring skills and the right developing skills to help young people understand that. No, the goal isn't to fail, but if you do, that's fine. We'll accept it, we'll embrace it and we'll move forward with it. Mm. That's so great and it's been just really wonderful to see the young person's team thriving over the past few months and seeing the successes. So, you know, you should feel really proud of that Thank and, you. Um, you know, really proud of um, the young people that you mentor as well. Um, thanks so much for talking Thank to us for and for sharing your story. Thank you. Um, it's been great. Thanks, Greg. Lovely. Thank you very much, Jamie. If you want to know more about the Young Persons Mentoring Scheme at The Reader, you can follow the link in the description for this episode or go straight to the reader website. Greg articulated so many important facets of the shared reading experience there. The physical sensation of being found out or recognised by a piece of literature, 
or the underrated power of pausing in your reading of a poem or story to let meaning sink in. But most of all, I think it's interesting that the space he and his fellow mentors at the reader are seeking to carve out for the young people in their care, a space where it's okay to fail, to pick up and start afresh and try out new ways of being, this space is modelled or echoed in a shared reading session where there is a safe space to sort through tangled emotions and look at them from new angles. A fellow reader leader, Sue, recorded a reflection for us about a poem by William Wordsworth that she returns to often because it creates its own space, an almost miraculous atmosphere of calm reflection. Lines composed upon Westminster Bridge, September 3rd, 1802, by William Wordsworth. Earth has not anything to show more fair. Dull would he be of soul who could pass by a sight so touching in its majesty. This city now doth like a garment wear the beauty of the morning, silent, bare. Ships, towers, domes, theatres and temples lie open unto the fields and to the sky, all bright and glittering in the smokeless air. Never did sun more beautifully steep in his first splendour, valley, rock or hill. Ne'er saw I, never felt a calm so deep. The river glideth at his own sweet will. Dear God, the very houses seem asleep and all that mighty heart is lying still. We often speak in shared reading of trusting the literature that you take to a session. And this poem is one of those I've come to trust because of how I've seen it work on people in a variety of settings, from community groups in a library to people living with dementia, or those living in the sometimes chaotic atmosphere of a mental health inpatient facility. I read it most recently, in fact, in a session I'm currently running online on an acute mental health ward. And one woman in the group was really drawn to the exclamation marks there in the last couple of lines after a calm so deep and dear God and lying still. She said, he's really surprised to be feeling like this, like he is now there in London on the bridge. He wasn't expecting it. And that comment struck me and took me back to the first time I can remember reading it in a group. One of the reasons I chose it was because the short story I was going to read was set in London. 
And I wanted something to take us there, so to speak, before we read the story, which was a contemporary one. So I thought it would be good to have an old poem and one that had something different from the story to say about London. I know I thought twice about using it because the group was a, a group of young men in prison, young offenders, and they were generally non-readers and certainly not readers of poetry, let alone 19th century poetry. And it was early on in my reader-leader experience, must be 10 years ago now, so I felt that I was taking a bit of a risk in a way. And indeed, one of the, the chaps new to the group that week, as I gave the copies out, he skimmed through it and cast it aside, saying, yep, read that while you were giving those out. Dismissing it, really. But once I read it aloud in the usual slow way, it seemed to land in a sort of quietening way on the group. And the chap who'd set it aside picked it up again and acknowledged that when he listened to it read aloud, it made him feel relaxed. And some of the others actually nodded in agreement. So then we had a second reading of the poem by one of the regular group members. And a deeper silence seemed to settle over the group. And there was a real stillness. I can remember feeling that I didn't want to break the silence, to break into it, thinking, oh, what do I do here? Because this poem was doing its thing on its own. We could all feel it. So we just let it be for a few moments and then very gently, um, my characteristic tendency to over-excitement subdued, if you like, we began a conversation, but it was noticeably low, hushed even, to start with, and somehow careful, as if in fear of losing the atmosphere that the poem seemed to have created. But they all had plenty to say. Um, they spoke about the London that some of them knew, and others noticed the never, never felt, repeated, emphatically and and that phrase dull of soul what what did that mean and someone loved the rhythm of the heartbeat and was reminded he said of the quiet breathing of a, a body when it's deep asleep then another chap said that the whole thing made him think of the countryside more than of the city and i think it was probably that comment that stirred this quite long-standing member of the group who'd been silent until then to speak. Um, and he said, oh no, I've looked at cities early in the morning. Belfast's one of them. Then he began to describe arriving into Belfast by boat at four or five in the morning and the strangeness of the stillness and quiet of a place that you know is a busy place, really. And then he carried on to tell us about the mists coming off the lock and the sun hitting the buildings. And he said that even though it was an industrial landscape, 
with cranes and stuff. Those early rays of sun reflecting off the metal made it beautiful. And then he paused again. And you know, I remember those pauses because, well, we were, all of us just hanging on his every word, quite mesmerised. And he finished saying, and it will get going. You know it will start to get going. Within a couple of hours, it'll get going. It just felt then as if this young man had somehow absorbed the feeling of the poem and then recreated it as he recalled these moments from his own personal experience. His very words, um, the pace of his speaking, the tone, the rhythm, recaptured that stillness and beauty in, of the poem. It felt somehow like both experiences merged in this profoundly tranquil space that we all found ourselves sitting in. There in this Young Offenders Institute in Reading Jail. One of the unlikeliest places, I suppose, that you might expect to experience a calm so deep. I hope you've been able to have some moments of quiet reflection during this episode and perhaps it's even left you feeling a little bit lighter. If you want to hear Greg and Jack and their fellow readers on BBC Five Live, check the notes of this podcast for the BBC Sounds link. Many thanks to Sue for casting a spell with her reading there. Thanks to Greg for sharing his story and time so generously. And thanks to Jamie for recording that interview. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for more conversation, recommendations and shared reading. Thanks, as always, to Chris for sound wizardry and to the Reader's Core Funders, Arts Council England, the National Lottery Community Fund and the Payers of the People's Postcode Lottery and the Steve Morgan Foundation. Finally, many thanks to you for listening to this episode. As a reward for listening this far, here's a poem. Spiderweb From other angles, the fibres look fragile, but not from the spiders. Always hauling coarse ropes, hitching lines to the best posts possible. It's heavy work every place. Fighting sag, winching up give. It isn't ever delicate to live. That was Spiderweb by Kay Ryan.
Till next time. Goodbye.